The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. We're going to continue uh, as we walk through the book of, of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we did have Truth Weekend this weekend. This was for our 6th uh, graders through to 12th graders. And uh, it was a fantastic weekend. I just wanted to do a quick shout out um, to a couple of people. We had two Micahs leading with us today. Micah Weir, who helped us this morning. And then, yeah, our speaker... Uh, Micah, who couldn't be here, the other Micah, and then we had all of our leaders. If you're a leader this weekend, just stand up real quickly. If you helped lead in a host home, just pop up real quick. Yes, awesomeness. They did a great job. Um, We had our host homes. We had people who were providing meals for the weekend. There were just literally 100 people, 150 people probably involved in in, uh, the weekend. We had some great ladies who helped us uh, get food ready for the weekend and feed this little army of kids all all weekend. So thank you, ladies, who did that. Um, It was a fantastic weekend. And once again, I would just say, um, not that your kids are perfect, but they're pretty good kids. And uh, thank you for letting us have them for the weekend. We are giving them back to you today. Um, so, but thanks for letting us spend the weekend with them. It was a fantastic time. Um, so I really, really deeply appreciate that. And hopefully they come back changed. Amen. Um, so second Corinthians chapter 12, uh, is where we're going to be. Um, when you boast or when you brag, you personally, what do you brag about? That's probably not a question we ask ourselves very much, is it? Right? What do we brag about? What am I going to brag about today? You know, we don't normally over our cereal and coffee in the morning, think about, Hmm, what can I brag about today? But we generally do. At some point or another, throughout the day or throughout the week, there's going to be a point where we'll brag and we'll boast. What is it that you would brag or boast about? What do you want people to know about you so that they will think well of you or maybe so you'll think better of yourself? So maybe some of our boasting, maybe most of our boasting, isn't so much that someone else would think something of us. It might be so that we would think something of us or we would be reminded of something that we would like for other people to know about ourselves. Everybody boasts. Everybody is uh, bragging about something. Um, I don't know how this president's going to be remembered, but man, we should just encapsulate his tweets and put them in stone somewhere, you know? I mean, it's ridiculous. He tweeted out one time. He tweeted this out. I'm much more humble than you would understand. <laughs> I just thought that was great. Right? It's just this great reminder, man. Everybody's bragging about something. That guy's bragging about being humble, which is so awesome, you know? What is it, some things that Christians brag about? And now you're like, oh, well, Christians don't brag. You haven't been around Christians very long, right? What are some things that believers or Christians brag about? Now, in the ministry, I've been doing this for a long time, and here's the stuff that I hear about from other ministers about what they brag about, numbers. Thousands saved, thousands baptized, hundreds at this service, blah, da, 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 whatever it is, right? Buildings, right? Buildings, baptisms, international ministry. That means somebody flew you to speak somewhere, by the way. That's what that means. But that's the kind of stuff you'll see uh, pastors and ministers brag about and boast about in their ministry. Um, I think there are some some people, uh, some general things, I guess I would say, that, that, that Christians might tend to, to brag about. And this isn't a healthy, there's a healthy pride. There is, there's a God-honoring pride that you can take in who you are and what's happening in your life and what you're doing. We tend to not gravitate toward that. We tend to gravitate more toward a negative idea of, of bragging. And so, so there are some people in the church that, again, that brag and it's like, look at me and sing my praise. I want to break them into some categories. There's some people I would say they're posers. Um, they're, they want you to deeply, they, to, to, to really have the opinion about them that they are able and they're worthy. And they really want to believe that about themselves. So even though they have faults and even though they have problems, they're constantly putting in front of you the absolute best part of them or what they think is the best part of them because they have to have an image that they want you to applaud or that they need to have applauded in their own hearts. There's what I call these people that are press releasers. They've come to believe how awesome they are. They probably have a talent or two. They probably do have some ability. They, maybe they have some spiritual maturity. And people have told them that. And they really believe that. 
and they're believing what I say is their own press release, right? What people are saying and applauding about them becomes the thing about which they are identified and how they begin to see themselves. They're very aware of what they're good at. And so, of course, for them, it would be natural for you to know about that and for you to celebrate that along with them about themselves. Here's, here's another group, and this may be the vast majority of us, may include those first two groups. These are unconfronted uh, braggers, unconfronted braggers. These people are probably somewhat ignorant of the fact that they're boasting and that they're bragging, and nobody's ever called them on it before. So they're probably not living in community, you know. Uh, they're probably not living in some kind of accountability with someone else who can speak into their lives and point out to them, man, that's bragging. So maybe just let me do it. I'll take the weight off of everybody this morning. Braggers, boasters, all we want to do is bring you down a few pegs. Do you understand that? Nobody's walking away going, wow, that guy's awesome. Everybody's going, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> you just need to know that. When you walk away from telling us how amazing you are, everybody wants to come after you and just take you down three or four rungs to help you understand you probably ain't that great. So let me call, it, call you on it if no one else will. You come across as arrogant and insecure both at the same time. So those of us who struggle with this, just know that when you walk away, this is the taste that you're leaving in our mouths. This is what you're leaving behind you when you think you're, posing, you're presenting yourself to be something amazing. It's really very distasteful. Here's something for all of us to grab onto. The person who doesn't like themselves very much and the person who really likes themselves a lot. Here's what you need to remember about the way God works. God doesn't choose people to do meaningful things based on their impressive resumes or their selfies or their Instagram streaks. That's not God's criteria. Look in Scripture at who God chooses to use throughout the millennia. Not once or twice. Oh, that's interesting. Repeatedly for millennia in how he has dealt with mankind. And it's not generally the best, the brightest, and the most amazing person. And it certainly isn't the person who thinks they are. That person's called Samson. <laughs> okay, and you can read his story. So I want you to remember this as we kind of get into this text today. Paul wants us to grow and to mature and to not take his grace lightly. We looked at that several chapters ago. That's a theme I think that he's still kind of pressing in on uh, as we look through this. So we, we tend to brag about generally things we want people to see about us, but none of us brag about stuff that we're not good at, right? I, I don't think many of us probably have a, if we went back and looked at all of our Facebook posts over the last year, it's not all of our failures or our burnt cakes, you know, or uh, stuff that we dropped on the ground or a car wreck we got into. It's all the amazing things about us that we want people to see and remember and pop up on our memories a year from now so we can remind ourselves how amazing we are. So I'm going to set the stage for you this morning, give everybody permission to brag about your weakness. Brag about the things that you're not good at. Ready? So here I go. I'm going to give you my stuff that I was, I'm going to brag now about stuff I'm not good at. I played tennis through high school. And you should go, wow, Pastor Joe's amazing. Played tennis in high school. Never played, made it past junior varsity. And I quit my junior year because I didn't like my coach. That, I'm good, I was good at tennis, but I, just, I didn't do it. Okay? Uh, I played basketball in college at the Bo Bedford Boys Ranch on Tuesdays because nobody good would show up on Tuesdays. <laughs> but I played all through college. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I went to Georgia, Mindy and I went to Georgia to be student ministers, and I promptly shrank a student ministry from 90 students to 65. Didn't get fired, but shrank it. I was part of a church that imploded and probably contributed to the problems more often than not. So listen, if you have to brag, let's brag about our weaknesses. Let's brag about our failures. And let's brag about our brokenness. And let's join in a long line of weaklings who are being empowered by God to do his mighty work. That's what we're going to talk about today, okay, as we get into this. So God wants us, or Paul wants us to remember that we're supposed to be growing and maturing, and he doesn't want us to take the, the grace of God lightly. He doesn't want us to treat God's grace uh, with contempt as we live daily um, and take it for uh, uh, granted. Um, 
And here's what I would say, kind of summarizing what we're going to look at today. I think Paul's going to say, we abuse God's grace when we credit people or ourselves for the things that God's doing. I take God's grace for granted when I take credit for it or when I give that credit to another person. And I think that's what he's going to kind of talk about with us today. So let's look in uh, chapter 12, verse 1. So he says, Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he's like, okay, if you guys want to get into boasting, let me boast. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, and such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my own weaknesses. For I don't wish to boast, I, um, for I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me, or hears from me. So, we get one of the freakiest passages in the New Testament. One of the weirdest six verses that you're going to kind of see in the New Testament. Where Paul is describing what he says, I know a man, and I think... All of history agrees, and the text will lead us to the fact he's talking about himself, that he's had this experience with God that is unutterable, that he can't even express in words, that it seems like he's been, he's not being permitted to express in words, and he's trying to to give them a taste not of how amazingly spiritual I am, but I want you to understand basically what he's saying is my spiritual authority is it doesn't come from this great experience that I've had with God, this visionary experience that I had with him. So what is this all about? What's he trying to say? I would say this, to summarize this, and there's a lot written about these six verses. There's a lot, a lot that you could go study about it. I would summarize it like this. It seems like this entire experience, these six verses that we see here from Paul, wasn't given to Paul to show him how amazing and and qualified he was to lead them, but it was intended to be the reason that God would use to give him a thorn. That is so counterintuitive. If you or I experienced what Paul did, whatever happened to him in these, these six verses, I'd write books about that for the rest of my life, and you would pay me to come speak in your churches, and I'd be a millionaire. Right? I and mean, this is what we do. People have these ecstatic experiences with the Lord of some kind or another that they believe are from the Lord, and they, they build a career around them. And it seems like, at the very least in Paul's case, that the reason the Lord gave him this experience and showed him this vision wasn't so that he would go, look how, uh, look how amazingly qualified I am to be your spiritual leader. It becomes the exact reason why God brings a thorn into his life in the next several ver- uh, verses that we're going to read. Paul is saying, I think this, he's like, power didn't come to me in the heavenly vision experience. It came to me in the thorn experience. Nothing that he was shown or he was told he was allowed to share. He doesn't even tell us here what happened or the words that he heard. There was nothing that happened to him during that time that he was allowed to share. And it happened 14 years ago. And apparently, this is the first thing he's ever said about it. But the power from the thorn that comes to his life, which we'll read about here in a second, was the thing that God was going to use in his life and his ministry for the rest of his life. So he sets this contrast up early, early in this text, and it flies in the face of what we normally believe about who is spiritual and who isn't spiritual, who's amazing in God and who's not amazing in God. And he's saying, listen, I've had these experiences, but that's not the basis for my ministry. That's not the basis for who I am in Christ and what I'm trying to do in your life. So why don't we spend more time on this text? Why don't we have seminars and books and why don't we emphasize this text? Well, listen, I just want to remind you, it's six verses in the entire book. It's six verses in the whole book. This isn't what Paul's writing about. This isn't the point. If you make this the point of 2 Corinthians, or just 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you're missing the point. Put it in context, and that's not the point of what he's saying here. As a matter of fact, if we made it the point, if I did the rest of this day today, talk, talk to you about the amazing vision that Paul had, and how you can have visions and dreams too, if that's what I made this into... It would be to misunderstand the entire thing that Paul's writing to us. Are you ready for this? Grace celebrates consistent power and weakness, not occasional overwhelming experiences. 
Grace celebrates consistent power and weakness, not occasional overwhelming experiences. In this book, in 2 Corinthians, remember we chop it up into chapters. This was a letter. So immediately before this, what we saw last week, Paul was lowered in a basket in humiliation outside of a city wall. The end of chapter 11. Then he's raised up in this vision. Then he's brought lower with a thorn again. Paul understands that boasting about the vision has nothing to do with him or his daily living. It's in the weakness that he receives daily power from God. And he will boast about God and what God is doing in him while he's weak. That's his point. That's what he wants to drive home for us. God wants us to rely daily and trust in him, not in our experiences, not in our talents, not in our gifts, not in our abilities. You're like, wow, Sanders, that's really hard. That's six verses. How'd you come to that? I read the rest of the chapter. Ready? Chapter 7. Chapter 7. Because of the unsurpassing greatness of the revelations. So here's the, because of those revelations, and they were so surpassing and so amazing for me. Because of that, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What was Paul's thorn? This has been debated for 2,000 years. What was it that he had in him that was this thorn in his side? I think there's a little bit of a clue. This is not speculation, but it's me trying to make sense of the text, okay? So Galatians chapter 4, I want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture where I can. Let Scripture highlight Scripture where you can. So in Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes about this, and he says this. He says, "But, but you, you Galatian Christians, know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? He says this, For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So twice he talks about a bodily illness, and the solution seems to have been, if they could have pulled their eyes out and given them to Paul, they would have. So, I'm going to probably land on the side that Paul, at the very least, had some kind of an eye condition that could have been very painful. There are actually eye diseases that are very, very painful that make it difficult for you to see, etc., etc. They can even, if you've ever had pink eye, which is one of the grossest things, light. I can do a bunch of stuff with little kids, but pink eye grosses me out, all right? So you can have pink eye. It's painful. It hurts. It's oozing, just whatever. We don't know exactly what was going on with Paul, but I'm going to kind of default to, at the very least, he had this physical thing going on with his eyes. We also need to remember he'd been beaten almost to death a couple of times up to this point. I mean, he's probably got all kinds of physical conditions that are going on with his body. So I land on the side that if you had to say something, it was something physical in his body um, that was... the keeping him from living the life and the ministry that God wanted him to live. That, that's probably where I would land with that. So now we're stuck in a real conundrum. No matter how you interpret this, and I have heard people try to jump through so many hoops to try to get around these verses. If you just let Scripture say what it says, let it say what it says, and it'll work itself out. So let's not jump through any hoops and just read it as plainly as possible. But it does leave us with an oxymoron, a, a conundrum that we've got to figure out. So if this thorn was from God to keep him humble, how could it also be an angel of Satan at the same time? Now, some of your theology just imploded because your theology will not allow for this to occur at the same time, okay? So let's just talk about it just a little bit, and maybe we can understand it a little bit more. Can we at the very least agree that God often uses the devil to accomplish his purposes? That Satan is not God's equal, only evil, right? It's not the dark and the light of the force. 
You don't have two equally powerful competing sides doing battle with each other for eternity. God is infinitely more powerful than anything Satan could ever even dream of. God often used the devil to accomplish his purposes. The book of Job, if you've never read it, this answers, or it begins to speak to this conundrum in human existence from the earliest parts of Scripture. The book of Job, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, the cross of Christ. Although Satan and God work with opposite goals in mind, they can both want a particular event to occur while wanting opposite results. You're like, well, prove it, Sanders. I'm going to go hard first because I think it's the answer to all this, and that's the cross of Jesus. Satan wanted to see Jesus did, listen, and so did God. Is your theology big enough just for that statement? Satan wanted to see God dead, and so did God. But with completely different outcomes in mind. With completely different points of view. Completely different plans. They both purpose to accomplish the same thing in time and in space and the crucifixion of Jesus. We'll go back to the book of Job. Satan was hoping to destroy Job and bring dishonor to God, but God used Satan to strengthen him and to change his character and to give him a love for God. I think it's pretty similar here. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this demon knew that he was being used by God. Maybe he was, but more than likely he was not, or it. I don't know. Are all demons guys? I just thought about that. We call them he all the time. Whatever this thing was, I'm not saying this demon knew that it was being used by God. But the demon seems to have been sent with God's providence with evil intents to destroy Paul and his ministry, while God's design for the entire situation was to save Paul from crippling pride and powerless living. So some of you are like, well, God is really mean. I have now confirmed in church what I have always believed, and that is that God's really mean. He's cruel. If God's going to cause me pain, if God's going to sin, if he's going to even allow it, let's just change your language. Some of your theology won't go there. If all God's doing is allowing pain into my life, he's mean. He's cruel. How could God be so hateful? Because the thorn that I have is too much to bear. What if I told you, just grab onto this. This is Paul's point. What if I told you that you could take a pill every night and it would keep you from dying? But you have to take it every night. What would you do to make sure you remembered that pill? I've tried to remember things before, and I've put rubber bands on my arm just to kind of, and they cut into the skin. And as the day goes on, and it's kind of cutting into my wrist, I'm like, dang, that hurts, man. But that's a reminder, oh, at 4 o'clock today, I have to do that. At 6 o'clock tonight, I'm supposed to do that. What would you do to remember to take that pill if it would keep you alive? One pastor said this. He said, I need a thorn in the flesh, a limp in my step, something, anything to remind me that I am sin sick and that if I don't take my daily medicine, I will die. What is God trying to do battle with in Paul's life? And he says it. We don't have to speculate here. Again, let the scripture just say what it says. Simplest reading, the best reading. What does it say? We don't normally get this. This is why this passage is actually so amazing. We don't normally get the why. He tells us the why here. Why did God do this to him? To keep pride out of his life. That's why God allowed this thorn. That's why he sent this messenger to him. Pride is our most deeply rooted and influential sin. Me, self-worship, self-reliance, self-worth, self, self, me, me, I, me, my constant attention and worship of myself. It is by far the most pervasive sin in our lives and the most influential sin in our lives. And it can lead to a whole host of other kinds of sins. And it's the most dangerous thing to us spiritually. So that means that everything that God uses to keep us in humility, everything God uses to keep us depending on him is a grace gift, even if it's painful. I got one hallelujah there because most of us don't like that, okay? (laughs) Most of us are thinking, dang it, this guy goes hallelujah. God will bring pain and suffering into our lives in order to keep us from having our deepest joy destroyed by pride. If your joy is 
tied up in you and who you are and what you can accomplish and what you can hold on to, then it dies every time you fail. And God would keep you from a lesser joy. God would save you from something that cannot last for eternity. Do y'all understand that? I don't know if we value it, but do you at least begin to wrap your head around it? And God in his grace would save us from being trapped in a lesser joy. That's good. It's hard, but it's good. Tim Keller says, I want you to ponder that. Think about that. Pain can protect us from pain. Redemptive pain can protect us from destructive pain. I think, I think one of the things, and gosh, doesn't this, this should echo back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If you have that in your head, that story, this should, there should be a recall back to that and the pride of life that we see in the garden and our parents that just plagues us throughout our existence also. I think basically what God is saying is beware of your strengths. Be afraid of the things that you're good at. Be afraid of the things that cause you to rely on you and not cry out to God for mercy and grace and power. God wants us to know that our strengths are far more of a threat to us than our weaknesses are. Does that make sense, everybody? Gosh, we can rely on our strengths and hide so many of our weaknesses. That's the real battlefield. It's in our strengths. Strength keeps us from hoping in God and trusting in His power. When we fail, when we struggle and suffer, listen, God is not keeping good things from us. He's giving us something greater. Hudson Taylor, great missionary, said this. God, this is hundreds of years ago. God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold, and that is helpless dependence on him. God wants you to have something far greater than riches and gold, and that is helpless dependence on him. Paul Tripp says we should fear our delusion of strength. Strong people not, tend not to reach out for help because they think they don't need it. When you have been proven weak, you will tap into the endless resource of divine power that is yours in Jesus Christ. In my weakness, I have known strength that I have never known before. We're also supposed to pray as God's working in us through our pain and suffering. We're also supposed to pray that it gets removed. I love that too. Paul says, I prayed three times. Now, do you really think Paul prayed three times? Is that the point here? It's to some point of exhaustion, some point of perfection. I couldn't pray anymore for this to be taken out of my life. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I prayed to a point where I felt like I'm doing a holy work in my prayer. Three is like a number of holiness. Like I'm doing what God's told me to do. And I'm praying and I'm so glad that we get kind of an encouragement here to sort of pray that things would be removed from our lives. Why should we pray that this thorn should be removed from our lives? I think a principle here is this. This is a huge principle and some of you are going to ask for it because you're legalists. We're all legalists at some point. You want to know the rules. I don't know the rules. I can tell you the principle, okay? How it gets fleshed out in your life, that's a faith issue with you and the Lord. Never embrace physical suffering as, long, as a long-term plan from God unless somehow you've been informed by the natural progression to death or divine revelation. I'm going to say that again because it's a mouthful. Never embrace physical suffering as a long-term plan from God unless somehow you've been informed by the natural progression to death or divine revelation. Now, that means there's a lot of you that are hurting and suffering, and I haven't heard from God for me to quit praying for you that God would take that away. So I'm going to keep praying for you. Until we die and are cold in the ground and our spirits with Jesus, I'll pray that God takes it away. Why should we pray so desperately? And this, I love this, this passage too. There's so much here. Why should we pray for these things to be taken? Because we're physically hurting? Because we're suffering? Because suffering is a form of spiritual warfare. Physical pain is a, is, is a place that takes you to the spiritual dark place that you've never been before. It always includes, spiritual warfare always includes our body and our spirit. Um, I'm going to quote Paul Tripp again, just give you a quick background. Pastor, Presbyterian, famous Presbyterian church in Philadelphia. He had acute uh, kidney failure, which means it comes on like that and you can die if you don't get to the hospital. Super painful, exceptionally painful. While he's in the hospital on a morphine drip, it hurts so badly, he looks at his wife and he says, just let me die pastor, author, speaker, Christian counselor. Pain will take you places spiritually that you've never been before. It's spiritual warfare. 
he says this on the backside of that experience, and he struggles with it every day. It's kind of a lifelong condition for him for now. Suffering takes us to the borders of our faith. It leads us to think about things that we've never thought about before and maybe even question things that we thought were settled in our hearts. Why do we pray for God to take these things away? Because it will beat us up spiritually and Satan gets an inroad into our lives. And what he has come to do in destroying us, if we're not careful spiritually, it will have that effect on us. So we should be praying for the removal of these things because it is spiritual warfare. You never suffer physically in a way that Satan isn't looking for a way to get in and attack your heart and your spirit and your mind. Paul experiences this kind of joy. At the end of this text, he starts to talk about, I'll gladly go through this. He experiences a joy in all of this. How is that even possible? How, how can, could you, could I write this story oozing sores out of your eyes and you're dictating a letter to someone and you're like, I will gladly endure this. <laughs> what? What's he talking about when he talks about this joy? Here's what Paul says, and I'm not going to get into it, but it's one of those places where the Greek is amazing. Like the original language... He says this, he says, I will gladly joy in this and, and, and suffer through these things because it's in those moments that Jesus comes and pitches his tent around me. That's the word that he uses. It's in the place of suffering and weakness that Jesus comes and literally puts a tent over me and dwells with me. It seems like, I say seems, I think the scriptural Evidence tells us throughout all of Scripture that Jesus is closer to us when things are hard rather than things, when things are good. We, now, we think we sang Miracle Worker and Waymaker and we sang billion times and all that, and we're like, oh, Jesus is here. He fell on us in worship today. Guys, that's the easiest thing you're ever going to do as a Christian. Come in here and cheer each other on when we sing about God. That's literally the easiest thing you're going to do. It seems like Jesus should be closer to us when everything's good and when we really love that worship song and when the wine and the honey flow. But in reality, Scripture tells us that God is nearest to us and we know his power best when we are weak. Paul is also telling us that our spiritual purity and experiencing God's power is more important than our immediate physical relief. Now, I don't like that at all. At all. I can't get away from a scriptural precedent that seems to be set that he sheds light on here and says it very plainly. And in First Peter, and the cross of Christ, and we see it in other places. God is nearest to us. We know his power best when we are weak. God is more interested in me experiencing joy and power than he is physical relief. God values our holiness more than he does our comfort. I don't, but I think God does. Paul is saying it is best for us to submit to God's purpose and his purposes of holiness and humility and power. Guys, there has to be some kind of just deep resolve in our hearts to surrender to the good purposes of God when we go through these kinds of trials. I want to read verses 9 and 10 again. We'll begin to wrap it up. So he prays three times and he says to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ would dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sakes. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why does God weaken us like this? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's way. This is the way of God. This is the way he works. Almost without exception, this is the way he works. It's not out of spite. It's not being sadistic. He wants the absolute best for us. And sometimes that means that God has to reduce us in order to get us out of the way. You ever feel like that? Like, I'm the biggest hindrance to God working in my life? As much as I'd like to point the finger at people in my circumstances, really, 
I seem to be the biggest consistent hindrance to God working in me. And so God's way is to get me out of the way. Gideon had 32,000 people in his army to fight a war. God only wanted him to have 300. Now Gideon might look at that and go, that's not fair. (laughs) God, you're mean. You're sending me out to die. How could you possibly do this to me? You don't love me. Israel's armies gathered against their Philistine enemies, and there's tens of thousands. We get numbers in the hundreds of thousands of men who are ready to fight. God wanted a teenager with five rocks. God's son comes. The son of God spoke things into existence. By his power, he holds everything that is together. (laughs) And we're expecting, here he goes, man. He's going to unleash it all now. God wanted him abused and rejected and killed on a cross. This is God's way. God will step into our lives and he'll reduce the sizes of our armies because he wants us to trust him. And quite frankly, that's the only way I'm going to do it. The only way I will be brought to my knees and quit relying on Joe is to be brought to my knees. So listen, this isn't, these aren't always the big events, man. These are daily decisions, moment by moment decisions that we have to make. Am I going to rage against God? Or am I going to lean into him like I never have before? We think pain and suffering and lack are things to be avoided. J.D. Greer said, but what if dependence is more important than strength? If dependence is the objective, then weakness is an advantage. Whoa, dang. Now I got another sermon to preach now, right? (laughs) Because that's awesome. If dependence is more important than strength, If dependence is the objective, then weakness is an advantage. That is daily, moment to moment. God, this hurts. God, this is difficult. God, I'm not prepared. God, I can't handle this. I know. Rest on me. Rely on me. Trust in me. He wants us in that place. We should be encouraged as we read this text, not discouraged. Some of you are like, well, dang, I'm going to have to live with this thorn forever. I don't know. I'm not God. I didn't tell you to live with it forever. By the way, listen to the podcast. I said pray for its removal every day until you die or God says something else. But while you live with it, embrace it because God's doing something in you that wouldn't happen any other way. Be encouraged. Scripture and God don't ignore us or ridicule our painful struggles. They don't mock our suffering and tell us to get over it. They point us to a God who is right with us, right in the middle of my desert experience, living with me in a pop-up tent. That's where I've got to see it. This text says that he comes to dwell, tabernacle among us in our pain and suffering. Scripture tells us that God is right there with us in his pop-up tent, right with us in the valley of the shadow, that he is working in this dark terror to build you into some being that is greater than who you are now. That he's teaching you the greatest lesson of life. And here it is. Are you ready? The greatest lesson of life is to trust God and to love him. That's the greatest lesson in life. To trust God and to love him. That he will end it all one day and bring glory to everyone who has trusted him through Jesus Christ. And that he is giving you the grace that you need and the Holy Spirit to overcome it today. So walk to overcome. Walk to faith and walk with Christ. Be encouraged. There are times when God hears your prayers. Take this away. Take this away. Take this away. I don't even know what to pray anymore. Take it away. There are times when God hears your prayers and his answer is, my grace is sufficient. Max Lucado wrote a book and in it he says this. He said, is God being unfair? He says in a previous book, in a book called God Came Near, I've told her our oldest daughter fell into a swimming pool when she was two years old. A friend saw her and pulled her to safety. What I didn't tell you was what happened to me the next morning in my prayer time. I made a special effort to record my gratitude in my journal. 
I told God how wonderful he was for saving her. As clearly as if God himself were speaking, this question came to my mind. Would I be any less wonderful had I let her drown? Would I be any less a good God if I called her home? Would I still be receiving your praise this morning had I not saved her? Is God still a good God when he says no? That's a tough place to live. That's a good place to be. God wants us to have more power, not less. It's a kingdom that's upside down, guys. God wants us to have more power, not less. Circumstances say you have less. God says, no, I'm going to give you more. God wants us to have more power. God wants people to look at me and not say, wow, look at Joe and amazing he is. He wants us to look at people to look at me and say, look how good and powerful God is. So I can boast in my weakness, but then say, but look what God did. God wants us to have more power. He wants us to have more joy. So we often send thorns. And, and I would even dig a little deeper. Sometimes I think the thorn is the unseen thing. Maybe it's not the cancer, but it's the fear that comes with it. Maybe it's not the rejection, but the self-hatred. And maybe it's not the loss of a job, but the love of safety and comfort that's gone. God will send thorns to bring us more joy and more power than we can know in any other way. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preacher pastors ever, said this. God is too wise to be mistaken and too kind, too good to be unkind. God is too wise to be mistaken and he's too good to be unkind. Are you deeply rooted in that, in your spirit, in your heart, in your soul? Not in who you are, not in how great you are, but that God is too wise to make mistakes and he's too good to do bad things to you for the sake of bad things. The Holy Spirit is absolutely consumed with making us holy and like Christ. He's totally committed to that, y'all. That's his purpose. That's his goal, is to purify you, to consume you and burn you up and leave Christ behind in you. All tools are at his disposal. Whatever he wants to use to get us there, it's his decision to make. And every necessary means will be used by him to take us there. Because he's undeterred. He's completely focused and committed on, I will take this person and make them look like Jesus. He's too wise to make a mistake in that process. And he's too good to be unkind in that process, no matter how it feels. These guys bow your heads. Here's my prayer for you today. As I prayed and wept and cried and prepared for today, and I did, it's hard. Here's my prayer for you. This is what I've been praying all week. God, I'm praying that we take that he would take some thorns away. God, would you just take some thorns away? It seems so overwhelming. It seems so overbearing. And it does seem unkind. God, would you take some thorns away? That's my prayer for you. Pray that prayer. God, I've got this thorn. Take it away. It's too much. I can't handle this. Take it away. Don't let me be led to a place that destroys me. Save me. Take this thorn away. Here's my other prayer, man. At the same time, I'm praying, God, perfect our people. Mature our people. Consume them with your holy fire and leave Jesus behind. That's my other prayer for you. And that's a tough prayer to pray as a pastor. I want your relief. I want you to be happy. But then I back that prayer up with the scripture and I'm like, gosh, well, I got to pray now that God does his work and he doesn't finish. Don't stop. That's my prayer for you. God, don't stop. Work in them until they look like Jesus. God, take this thorn away. God, perfect me. We forget that part. Perfect me. Consume me until Jesus is all that's left. And I'm going to pray this too for you, and I am praying this, that we would be well content, that we would be well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake because God when the sanctuary fellowship is weak then you're strong 
It's when we are weakest that we are at our strongest. God, use me in my weakness. Could you pray a prayer like that? I've got a thorn. I've got a weakness, and it just seems to be too much. God, while I'm here, while I'm in this dark place, use me. Use my weakness. Take the glory. Don't let evil destroy me. God, I submit to your good work in my thorns. Ooh, there's a good one. There's a big one. God, I submit to your good work in my thorns. Take it away. Perfect me and I submit to your work. Don't finish it or don't stop until it's finished, right? Consume me, burn me out, leave Christ behind. God, we thank you for this text. I pray, God, that we would never get hung up on things that are fruitless at the end. God, we let your word just say what it says. We live within some tension. There's tension. We live within that, that you're too big to us to understand. Your ways aren't our ways. God, finish what you're doing in us. Give us this gladness and this joy because while we're in this deep, dark time, you have pitched your tent right next to us. You dwell with us. Dwell with us right now in our hard times, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that what you started on the cross, the Holy Spirit's committed to finishing. Finish it in us. In your name we pray, amen. That's why we go through the word. Listen, I just want to say it again. Our guys are going to come. We're going to take our offering. Guys, y'all can get ready for that. I just want to say again, we're going to walk through scripture here because scripture tells us things we don't want to hear. And if you leave it up to me, you're going to get sappy stories every week, you know, and it's going to be great. But that's not the true counsel of God's word. The whole counsel of God's word takes us into hard things. So we're going to be just obedient to walk through it together, okay? And this is one of those days. So thank you. Thank you for being here and hearing and listening so attentively. Guys, are going to take up the offerings. Members, give, 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 give. I expect huge money coming out right here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so members, give uh, and be faithful to give. Several things I want to know you, uh, let you know about. Uh, our car care ministry, I believe that's this Saturday, by the way, which is April, unbelievably. Saturday, our, uh, we have a car care ministry day. Oil change, if you're a single mom or a college kid or just whatever, you just can't afford that, some work on your car, there's a place for you to sign up out there. We'd love to minister to you. If you've got uh, neighbors, friends or family, widows, things like that that are around you that struggle, we'd love to minister to them. I think there's some cards on that table and you could go invite them. So please do that. Ladies Ministry, Books and Brownies at Life's Purpose, which Life's Purpose was Carter Kids. They're changing their name um, to Life's Purpose now. So they have a ministry that's coming up. There's a place for you to sign up outside. Um, Good Friday is coming. Our Seder meal, our Passover celebration, Easter Saturday out at Jenny Lane, Easter Sunday baptism. So tons, and it's all in the worship guide. Um, so just make yourself available to serve and to be at all those things, okay? Last thing we're going to do, we do this every year. I, I want to say, and maybe some of my older kids can help me remember this, I think this is like our 10th Truth Weekend, which is kind of crazy. It's got to be something like that. We're close to that. So we're just going to call it our 10th one. How's that? Um, and what a decade of ministry, and it's awesome to see some of the kids that have graduated out are leading our kids now. That's where we're at as a church, and it's a beautiful thing, you know, as our students are serving and our young adults are serving each other. So it's really cool. Uh, we do this each year. I'm going to ask all of our students, so y'all come up and just kind of spread out. Siblings, make sure you get together all the way across the front. Here's the other thing I'm going to do. Some of the teenagers that didn't come, they're like, I'm so glad I didn't go to Truth Weekend because I don't want to stand in front of the church. I'm going to ask you to come too. If you're a teenager under the age of 18, I'm going to ask you to come up front. Spread out all the way to the side. Jeremiah Pogue, you guys just go on down there. So if you're a student here today, just come on up, man, and just kind of spread yourself out all over, okay? So we talked with your students this weekend about fighting, about fighting the good fight of faith, uh, about having to, having to fight to kind of stay in the Lord when things are really, really hard. And some of these kids are already facing things that are really unbelievable, and life wants to crush them, right? Isn't that what our enemy wants to do? He wants to snuff out the light in these guys and these girls as early as he can. We as parents and as a church want them to boldly stand up for Christ and in Christ their entire lives. So we just spoke into them about fighting the good fight of faith this weekend. Here's one of the things we can do, not one of the smaller things, but one of the greater things we can do. We can lift our kids up in prayer. We can fight for them. 
You ever thought about that? You can fight for your child even when they're not around by lifting them up to Christ, right? We want to be a church and a church family that does that. So here's where we're going to get super weepy and awesome. I want all the parents to come up. If your kid's in here, you come get your kid right now. Leaders, if you know a child's here and their parent's not here, come to them. So I don't want any of our students by themselves. And then if a dad's here, I want a dad to start leading in some prayer. If mom's here, that's cool. Whatever. I don't want any of our students by themselves, okay? And then moms and dads, start praying over your kids. If you don't have a student here, pick somebody and start praying. If you know a name, start praying. Lift somebody up, okay? So let's go ahead and do that right now. Just start praying. There should be prayers all over, out in the congregation, up here by the stage. Pray for your students. Pray that they would fight and commit to them that you're going to fight for them, mom and dad. Maybe you need, they need to hear that. Go ahead. Lift up those prayers. Father, we thank you for the, the treasure that is our children. We thank you for the gift that you've given us here. There are 50 plus, probably close to 60 teenagers up here right now. God, we want to just turn them over to you. I can remember when my kids were little babies and I just had this picture of laying them on an altar and saying they're yours. And God, I, I want to do it again as a pastor and a friend to come and just take these students and just lay them in front of you and say, God, they're yours. We as parents, we're going to make mistakes we're going to do things that probably argue against some of the things we'd like them to do and be, God. So God, in our weakness, as parents and as a church family, make us strong. Where we're lacking, fill us up. Where we don't have wisdom, give us wisdom. Where we need strength and endurance and perseverance to be good parents, give us those things, God. We also pray for our students, God. We want to pray a prayer of protection over them. God, just that the Holy Spirit would be a shroud around them, that as they struggle and as they... Uh, not just with temptations, but just growing up and, and becoming like Christ, God. We want to pray the Holy Spirit would be over them, guarding them, guiding them. We also pray the whole, that, the, that Jesus would be right there with them as they go through pain, as they go through suffering, God, that they would know that they would know that they would know that as they've trusted in God, that Jesus is right there with them. God, I pray that these kids would fight the good fight. This is sweet and it's tender and I love it. There's prayer and tears, God. But God, these teenagers, they're, they're big enough to fight the fight. And God, I pray they would start and they'd pick up the sword, the helmet, and the shield, and the feet, the shoes of righteousness, and all these things. God, they would fight the good fight. And God, we as a church are going to fight for them. Amen, church? We're going to fight for them. We're going to lift them up in prayer. We're going to remember a name or a face. We're going to lift them up and say, God, do amazing things through our students, Father. Thank you for this weekend, a church that lets us do this. It's so great. Be honored through our student ministry. In your name we pray, amen. Go home, get your stuff. It's all out in the hallway. Love you guys. You all are awesome. Have a great week, everybody.